So there was a group of kids aged four to eight, and they were asked to define love. Max, five years old. God could have said magic words to make the nails fall off the cross, but he didn't. That's love. Or a little girl. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love, Rebecca, age 8. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. Carl, age 5. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Chrissy, age 6. I like this one. Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it's not too hot. Jenny, age four. Our love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Noel, age seven. Or this is probably my favorite. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Elaine, age five. You know, you think about those, and those are good definitions for a little kid of love, but they all have something in common. They all have to do with serving somebody. They have to do with expressing your love by serving that other person. Today we're going to think about this idea of serving. And serving is very important. You know, we all want to be served. I watched a movie the other night, and uh, it's called Waking Ned Divine. And it's, there's this older family, and it, it, it comes on, and they're in the living room. It's set in Ireland. They're Irish, and they're a retired couple. And she's sitting at the table in the background paying the bills. And he's sitting in front of the TV holding his lottery ticket, getting ready to watch the numbers being announced. And they announce the first number. And he says, yes. And he says, Annie, bring me my apple tart. And Annie says, no, get it yourself. Annie, I'm watching the lottery numbers. And the second number is called. And he says, yes, that's two, Annie. And Annie, bring my apple tart. No, you get it yourself. And he's sitting. The third number is called. And again, yes, that's good. And he says, that's three. Another number is called. And he says, Annie, we got that one too. That's four. By this time, Annie's getting intrigued. She gets up, gets the apple tart, and brings it into the living room. Then uh, uh, Jackie you know, they call the fifth number. Jackie says, yes, that's five. And they call the sixth number. And he says, yes. And then he tears the lottery ticket up. And Andy said, did we win? He said, no, but it got me me apple tart, didn't it? <laughs> you know, some people go at great lengths just to have somebody serve them. Uh, we, we all kind of like sometimes to have somebody to serve us. But, you know, Jesus calls us to be the servant. He calls us to be the one doing the serving. I want us to think about that today. We're continuing our series called Engage, as Chris talked about earlier. On the inside, there are three panels. And what we're engaging is we're engaging Jesus, first of all. And we've been talking about that. That's discipleship. We also want to engage Bristol. That's our community. We want to outreach to our community. And then we want to engage the next generation. 
We want to engage those younger people that are not going to church today. And we're in this second panel where we're talking about uh, what it means to engage our community, to engage Bristol. We looked last week at the word love, and today we're going to look at the word serve. You know, if you think about it carefully, the word serve is just a natural extension of love. If you love somebody, you will serve that person. And, and so that's what we want to kind of focus on is this idea of loving people so that we serve people and all that to bring glory to God and to bring people to know who Jesus Christ is. He calls us to serve. I want to ask you a question today. How should I view my place in the kingdom of God? I mean, really, you think about that. How should I view my place in the kingdom of God? You know, when we think about our culture today, people don't want to be known as servants. I was reading something the other day, and people that keep kids for a living and do a little light housework, you know what they want to be called nowadays? Domestic engineers. My daughter is a nanny for a, a couple over in Johnson City. I can't think of her as being called a, a domestic engineer. But according to today's culture, that's what, it, what they are. We, we don't like this idea of being called a servant. We studied last week and we looked at Jesus and what he said to his disciples. He said, I no longer call you servants, but I have called you friends. Now, if you think about that for just a minute, that means they were servants. It's just that he grew close to them during that servant time and they became friends because they became close to Jesus. Jesus wants servants who are his friends. Let's go and look at Mark chapter 10 today. And, and we're going to look at this story uh, that, that is about two of his disciples that have a request. Now Mark is not an apostle that wrote this, but he is a companion of the apostle Paul and of the apostle Peter. In fact, many people believe that he, uh, the writing of the book of Mark is just a compilation of all the teachings and the writings that Peter left when he died. And so Mark compiled all this to bring us this gospel of Mark, and it, it really reveals to us a lot about who Jesus is. In fact, today, he's recording a teaching of Jesus, and it's an important teaching of Jesus. There were a couple of followers that must have gotten off track a little bit. And they wanted things to be about them. They wanted to be great in the kingdom of God. They were seeking their place in the kingdom. Read with me at verse 35 here. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, first thing I want you to think about today is that it's okay to aspire to greatness in the kingdom. It's okay to aspire to greatness in the kingdom. But not so that you will de be deemed great, but so that God will be deemed great. God wants us to do great things for him, just not for our glory. That's the problem with these disciples. They were more interested in their self. 
You know, they knew or they at least believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited king that had come to rescue Israel. And they believed he was going to be the king, the anointed one. That's what the word Messiah means. And they thought, well, he's going to take over and we're going to be his main advisors. One of us on his right, one of us on his left. Boy, if that would have happened, that would have brought up another problem because the right-hand advisor, well, that was the most important, the most special, the most trusted advisor. Which one of them would have got that seat? You know, that would have brought up more trouble, even caused a rift between James and John. But here, uh, Jesus is, is, uh, is going to teach them something as they go forward. Now, Jesus does want us to do great things. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, David Hicks talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, there's the parable of the, of the talents of gold or the bags of gold. And a master, a ruler, is going away uh, for a trip. And he comes, calls three of his servants, and he gives one of them five bags of gold, one of them two bags of gold, and one of them one bag of gold. And he doesn't give them any instructions. And the natural thing for the servant to do would be to put that gold to work, to make more money for their master. So when they came back, they would have something. The guy that got five, he did. He actually produced five more bags. He had ten bags of gold. The one that got two, he produced two more bags. He had four bags of gold. But the one that only got one bag of gold, he said, my master, he's a hard man. I'm afraid. Something might go wrong. I'm just going to bury this. And when he comes back, I'll just give it back to him. He was lazy. He didn't do anything. He didn't take any risk for his master. And when the master came back, he praised the first two guys. You know, the one that got five, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy that got two, Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one that only got one, he said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Shouldn't you at least have put it in the bank and drawn interest? Get out of my sight. Go away. He cast him out. But you know, the words we should want to hear as a servant of Jesus is well done, good and faithful servant. You have done something. You have, you have put yourself out there even though it might have been a risk. And you see, the problem was the first two guys, they were thinking about their master and serving him. But the last guy... He was thinking about himself. He could care less about the master. What does God see when he looks at us? How does God think about us in our servant attitude? You know, James and John were apparently motivated by self-desire. Look at what Jesus says next, verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with we can they answered Jesus said to them you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared when the ten that's the other ten apostles heard about this they became indignant with James and John I want you to see next that the journey may not be one of glory. You know, when you start trying to serve the Lord, it may not always be glorious. Jesus talks about the cup. You know, that is any experience 
that we go through that God is, has handed to us. And God may sometimes hand us a difficult cup. It may be something difficult to deal with. Or the baptism. That's also a metaphor. You know, it's a word that means to dip or immerse or submerge uh, something. Uh, usually and regularly in the first century, century, it was talking about being immersed or submerged in a certain, uh, in a certain uh, experience. William Barclay, in his daily Bible study series, says the Greek word baptism, to dip or submerge, uh, was used regularly of being submerged in any experience. For instance, a spendthrift is said to be submerged in debt. A drunk is said to be submerged in drink. A grief-stricken person is said to be submerged in sorrow. A lad before a cross-examining teacher is said to be submerged in questions. The word is regularly used of a ship that has been wrecked and submerged beneath the waves. He goes on to say this, the expression as Jesus used it here had nothing to do with technical baptism. What he is saying is, can you bear to go through the terrible experience which I have to go through can you face being submerged in hatred, pain, and death as Jesus was? Can you drink the cup? Can you face the baptism that Jesus was going to have to go through? James and John did. Jesus said they would. They served him. They went out and eventually they faced ridicule for being Christians, for promoting Jesus. They faced all kinds of torture. James was eventually beheaded. John was eventually exiled to Patmos, which is a, an island where the Roman government sent prisoners to serve their sentence. It may be that when we go through our lives serving Jesus, the, the good that we do will be met with opposition. It may sometimes be met with resistance by an evil person who goes against the will of God. Peter said in chapter 1, verse 6, 1 Peter, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come, says Peter, that the genuine of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. Not praise, glory, and honor for you, but for Jesus. Because you stick with it. You continue in your faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, things happen sometimes that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says we, when we face trials, they can lead to the testing of your faith. But he said this is part of God's plan because it teaches us to persevere in our faith. And in, as a result of that, we grow in spiritual maturity. Sometimes, when we're serving the Lord, we will face hardship. I want to tell you a story. My mother-in-law had a fall this week. Laverne, most of you have heard about that. Some of you may not have, but Laverne has got a good heart, and she was taking her little dog to uh, up to uh, PetSmart up at Exit 7 to get it groomed. She dropped it off, and as she was leaving, she was going to go to shop at Target next door, and she noticed that there was a panhandler out there with an accordion. He had the accordion plugged into the wall, and he was playing music and had a little 
container there collecting funds that people would drop in. Laverne thought she would go encourage him. She had her heart in the right place. She was going to tell him about Jesus. She'd been listening to my sermons the last few weeks, and she decided to take to heart what I had said. And she gets over here to share Jesus with this man, gets tangled up in this, this uh, extension cord, and has a fall and hit her face on the pavement and broke her nose. Now, I'm telling you this story for two reasons. One, because I want you to listen to my sermons and do what it says. But number two, I want you to pray to, for Laverne. She's doing a lot better. She's got to have some surgery on Tuesday. Her neck and her shoulder are really sore. So please pray for her. But you know, sometimes when you're trying to serve the Lord, something's going to happen. It may not be what you planned. But we learn God uses that to teach us to persevere and to teach us and mature us as we go forward. Jesus says to these disciples, he says, this position that you're seeking, that's, it's not for me to decide. The Father is going to have to take care of that. But you know, when James and John had asked this of Jesus, this caused a rift between them and the other disciples. Because the other disciples were probably jealous too. Why should they be the ones to sit on the right and the left? And they became angry and indignant, it said. And so there was a split here. There was a divide among the people in this group. And usually when you are trying to put yourself ahead of other people in any kind of organization, it's going to cause a divide. People will see through it when you're looking out for yourself. James and John should have been looking out for what Jesus desired instead of they wanted him to do what they desired. I was studying this week and came across a thing. Donald Sajunkian is a seminary professor, and he tells a story about a young, uh, a young student that he had, and he was sharing with the class one day about his denominational background, and he said, in my denomination, most churches, after eight years they have a rift between the leadership and the people in the church and usually they end up splitting and becoming two churches and this happens about on average every eight years in our churches and he said I'm going to tell you a story about one instance in one church the elders met in secret and decided they were going to fire the preacher well the preacher got word of it and the preacher went to the congregation and got a petition and the congregation signed it, and he took it to the court and had the court expel the elders from the church because they were dividing the church, and they couldn't come within 500 feet of the church. Make a long story short, what happened? Those elders took about half of the congregation and went and started a new church, all because disagreements in the church that probably should have never taken place. The Apostle Paul wrote to a small church that was having some issues. It's the church at Philippi. We have a book in the Bible that records the letter. It's called Philippians. And in chapter 2, listen to what Paul wrote to that church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. 
having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one in mind, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That's good advice for all of us. That's why it's in the Bible that we should think about others within the church and how we might serve them instead of how they might serve us. Well, Jesus recognized what was happening among his disciples. And if you look at verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who regard as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, listen to this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's my voting. You see, the way to greatness is realized in servanthood. That's how we realize greatness in the kingdom. If we really want to make a difference in the kingdom of God, then we'll figure out how we're going to serve God. Jesus said, you know, if you're looking for power and prestige and greatness, that's the way the Gentiles, the non-believers, that's the way they behave. They want all that power and prestige, and, and they want to be, be seen as something great. But not you. If you're going to follow me, you've got to look to how you can serve. That's the way the greatness in the kingdom of God. And God wants all of us to be great. There's a, there's a famous quote, and it goes like this. The way up is the way down. Or some people say it the other way. The way down is the way up. But you've got to think about what that means. You see the two arrows here. But what it's really saying, if you want to get to the up, start by going down. If you want to be something great, start by being a servant. In that passage in Philippians that I read you about, it really makes that very clear in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You think about it. Jesus came down to be a servant. Look at what happened. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Because Jesus came down to serve, God lifted him up and made him great. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, Jesus came down to serve, and he was exalted by God. He was lifted up to become the greatest man to ever walk on the face of the earth. In 1 Peter 
chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up. When we humble ourselves in servanthood to God, that's what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus' own teaching in Matthew 23, 12, he said, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He wants us to be servants. There was a, a homeless shelter. There was a man named Joe. He was a drunk. He frequented this homeless shelter. He had a bad reputation as being nasty and foul-mouthed and always dirty and stinky and most of the time drunk. He was referred to often as Wino Joe, and he came regularly, but one day he got saved. He found Jesus, and he changed 180 degrees, and he started to volunteer at the homeless shelter. He would come every day, and he would serve in the kitchen. He would mop floors. He would clean dirty bathrooms. He would make beds in the dorm rooms. He would do whatever the director asked him to do. He gave his heart and soul, and always with a smile on his face and the love of Jesus on his tongue. And he just cared for people, and he would, uh, he would help other drunks get undressed at night to go to bed. He would help them get up and find their way to a shower and get clothes in the morning. He would be the first one on the line serving the grits and the eggs. And he was just a servant-hearted guy and just happy and jovial and everybody loved Joe. One day another drunk came in and that night the director of the place was preaching an evangelistic sermon and he gave an altar call at the end and this drunk came forward and knelt down at the altar and he began to cry out to God and pray, God, please make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Please make me like Joe. I want to be like Joe, Lord. And the preacher went over and knelt down and he said, Don't you mean make me like Jesus? And the drunk looked up and said, Who's Jesus? I, I want to be like Joe. And you know, maybe the world could look at us and say, I want to be like this one. Because we are like Jesus. We serve. And we care for people. And we love people. And if we're going to be the loving people that God calls us to be, it's got to come out in the form of serving people. Because that's what people are going to see. You know, what we want to do as a church, we've already been talking about the fact that we want to become disciples that make disciples. But we want to be disciples that serve God and serve people too. We want to be disciples that make a difference for the kingdom of God. Some of the ways we're going to do some service this year is we're going to have some planned days where our whole church goes into the community and does a project. We're going to call them Hope Full Days because they're going to be days full of hope for other people. And we know what happens when we bring the hope of Jesus to people's lives. Say it with me. Hope changes everything. And it can change people's lives. We also are going to start our small groups, and you'll hear more about that in just a minute. There's sign-ups at the back. We're getting ready to start our life groups. 
once again. They'll be starting on March the 12th, and we've got some training for our leaders coming up, and you'll hear more about it. It'll be in the newsletter. There'll be more announcements in the bulletin, but we're going to get those kicked off again. There'll be mostly small groups that meet in the homes or in a designated place somewhere. But we're going to ask those small groups to go out a couple of times a year and do a little project with your small group to bring hope to the community. And we've already been asking you individually, how can you find somebody that you could give hope to? And we want to hear those stories. Uh, there's on our app, on the home page, if you scroll down, there's a place, share your story. And we want to hear stories about how you show hope. Maybe how you go to a guy playing the accordion and try to share Jesus, even if you get tripped up. But we want, we want to be a church that shows the love and the service of Jesus to the world. Our connection is this. Follow Jesus. He is our example. You think about the stories of hope that Jesus brought to people's lives. He brought healing, and he brought teaching, and he brought miraculous events into people's lives, and people's lives were changed. He went to the drunks, and he went to the prostitutes, and he went to the soldiers that were struggling with things, and he went to the downtrodden people and people that nobody else would pay attention to. Jesus went and brought life change to them, and he can bring life change to people today. But he's called us to be his servants to take that life change out to the world. Will you serve Jesus? Will you put Jesus first and then take him and go in the name of Jesus and serve people? Down in San Antonio, Texas at the Alamo, there is a picture there. And that picture is of one of the men who fought the battle of the Alamo. His name is James Butler Bonham. James Butler Bonham. He was a, supposedly a colonel. And there at the Alamo, he gave his life. And, and uh, they put a picture up, but there's an inscription underneath it that says, this is not an actual picture of James Butler Bonham. It is a picture of his nephew, John Bonham. And James, there is no available photograph of James Butler Bonham, but this is the closest likeness to his image that there is. And we wanted people to know the man who died to bring freedom to Texas. And this guy gave his life serving at the Alamo. Now, they didn't win the Battle of the Alamo, but they won the Texas-American War eventually. Bonham gave his life. There's another man we don't have a photograph of. His name is Jesus Christ. And you might have seen some artist's rendering of what he might have looked like, but there's no photographs. There's no actual paintings of Jesus out there. And the only way that some people will ever come close to seeing Jesus is to see you and you serving Jesus in his name to bring them hope in this world here and now. So I want to ask you to serve Jesus. To go out and serve him well. So that in your relationships you will have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's pray.
God, we do thank you today for all the many blessings that you give us. For your son Jesus, who did serve us. He served us all by going to the cross, by dying on that cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And Lord, for that we are grateful. And we pray today as he calls upon our lives to become like him and to serve others and to bring his love into the world, we pray that you will help us to be those people, to show grace as we go out and serve others that otherwise might not ever come to know Jesus or anything about him. So we pray that you would humble us to become your servants. In Christ's name, we pray and praise today. Amen.